Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Hopefully everybody's doing well. If you can go in and give this this particular podcast a five-star review and comment, I'd appreciate it. That keeps us up. The next thing I wanted to just say is, uh, and this is going to be a follow-on to a podcast I, I just worked on tonight and finished and got out to go out this week. I really have been enjoying all these guests we've had on. So much information, so many great experts. I mean, these are some of these guys are the best, the best in industry. And I'm really happy to have Rocky Burst back. It's been a while. He's been, I know he's been working on a lot of farms and properties and he outfits as well. And, you know, that's, it's hard to get these guys on the call. I'm trying to plan with everybody. And again, I don't want this just to be about whitetail landscapes and me specifically, but Rocky Burst from SA Farm Management's on. And Rocky, how you been, man? What's, what's been going on in your world? Uh, man, I've been doing great. Uh, wife's been working the last couple of days, so I got to stay home with the kids and recover from all these long hours trying to, we've had a lot of dry weather and everybody's trying to get their plots in and trying to get all this stuff done. So, uh, work's been busy. So what States have you been in recently uh, outside of Tennessee? Uh, we were in, let's see, Mississippi, Tennessee, and, uh, I think I went all the way down South Mississippi on one property. It's, it was basically in on the Louisiana border, but, uh, that's about it. I mean, I, I mean here lately it's, it's all these local guys that have, uh, I've done, done a bunch of different designs for, and, and I'm coming in and trying to get them, uh, some food plots planted. Uh, I have, I made the good idea to have a food plot business on top of a management business. So that is, uh, that has kept me very busy here lately. Yeah. And I know a lot of people I, I'm, my model is not planning food plots. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just pretty much consulting and, and then, you know, I have, I have somebody who does that work for me if there, there, if there is that need, but a lot of, a lot of my work has been dozer work or chains, you know, I'm running chainsaws with, with, you know, I enjoy that type of stuff. Food plots, you know, like you and Todd Shippey, I mean, you guys are full implementation, turnkey, same thing. I am as well. I just have somebody subcontracting that work. So let me, let me ask you this question. 
in your you know past few months, I mean, it's 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 warm today. Heck, today was like ninety one here in New York. You know, you, you're you're at the tail end of any any summer you know, summer plantings for sure. I, I know some some people are still putting in beans in the Midwest, and and rightfully so, depending on you know, the germination periods and, and maturity rates and all that kind of stuff. What, are you doing any planning at this point? Or are you pretty much done? Well, I'd like to say I was done, but I'm not. Um, literally planted some beans today, uh, just broadcasted some under some corn that came up light. We've had a, we've had a strange uh, planting season this year and we had a lot of, lot of rain, a lot of wet at the beginning, and it cost a lot of days of trying to get crops in and getting them in successfully. And then when we did have the wet, we had three to six inches of rain, like overnight type stuff. And I mean, it was just crusting fields over, causing a lot of replanting. So, uh, you know, when it comes down to the deer food plots, I look at the, you know, the maturity rate and and if i think i can get you know enough moisture to keep it going so you know i I planted corn um two different properties this week and then i planted like i said some beans today on me just broadcast because we had a freak deal where we had some thunderstorms coming through and i just wanted to put something under my corn that was looking light uh because of all those hard rains so we've uh we're, we're, I planted as late as the 26th. Uh, I think last year I planted a guy's farm on the 26th, which would be about right now, and we had some really good ears. You know, I, I try to keep my eyes on the farmers and, and what they're doing, and uh, we they had the same struggle, and they're planting a whole lot more ground, you know, than I am. So uh, I'm they're drilling beans, you know, right now still. So yeah. with them still planting, I'm, I'm planting with them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's understandable. You know, I, today I went over to my property this afternoon and I've, it's my day off. Sunday's my, my day to relax. And I went over to the property today and I was looking at some of my spottiness, my corn. Now I broadcast my corn and, uh, I, I'm kicking myself. I I should have, I got so much, I got bags and bags and bags of seed of all sorts of stuff. And I, I just, I was going to so- throw down some sorghum today because I, I like sorghum as a filler in my corn. Uh, I use it up north and deer tend to utilize it. It's, it's a great cover source. If you're building a kind of a food plot layout, uh, I've got one of my food plot areas. I use sorghum a lot of times for, for cover. And again, they'll, they'll eat the tops at some point. But the reality is it's an easy, you know, an easy seed to broadcast and it's funny you're bringing up like broadcasting beans in those situations. It, it, it's kind of a nice combination if you can just kind of. Th- it, one of the strategies I had in a couple areas is I was going to go back in and like with a small set of discs, is just disc up a couple areas and, and kind of try to roll in. You know, maybe maybe beans in a couple small spots where I had some patchiness. But again, I mean, it's you know, it's it's how much time and effort you want to put into these things, and, and a lot of times, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's. It, it doesn't have to be perfect is, is kind of my point. And, uh, you know, again, if you're going to catch a, a tail, uh, you know, a storm coming through and, and tail end of a rainstorm, I mean, you might be in a good shape to broadcast during the rain for that matter. So some people just, it's all timing and you have these two week or a week and a half dry spell. It, it puts a number on, on the plants. So I don't know, just a thought I had. So, you know, I think I wanted to talk about something that I, I see you post quite a bit about, and 
I'm interested because I know beyond the food plot stuff, you do, you do a bunch of timber work and trail creation and layout. And, you know, you're just not mapping the properties. You're creating, you know, very precise kill locations. I mean, your forte in this whole business is the fact that you know how to kill big bucks and you do it consistently every single year. And you put clients on every single year beyond all the other stuff. And it's not about soil building or it's not about a lot of these things that people are focused on right now. It's it's just the proper layout and construction of a property. And I feel like a lot of people miss that. And I, I know that's your thing. And I think that's made you successful in your business. So I want to talk about building quote unquote buck traps or maybe deer traps for that matter. And I kind of want you you explain the, the way you think about it and how you approach it. Well, um, I guess that's what I get the call the most. Uh, a lot of people are intrigued by the word buck traps or controlling movement. And, and that's something that I want to, I want to say that I, I've gotten pretty good at, um, and I enjoy doing, and it's a lot of, a lot of weaknesses the whitetail deer has. And when you really study them and you, and you're doing, like you said, you're looking outside the, the whole build the soil, build the proper everything, you know, you go through and you use the habitat for what it is. And you go in and you say, I see a pinch point here. And it could be this much better if I did this. And I see a funnel here, but it could be better. I could hunt it 100% if I did this. So a lot of these places, I, what I do is I go and I I meet these clients and I walk their properties. And there's usually at least two or three spots that I'm just I'm just sold that if I if I had to put all my money on a spot, I can kill it the biggest buck on your property right here. If he comes, if he lives in this area. So when I find those spots, of course, those are in my design and I, and I really get elaborate. I really design the, the trap is what I've been calling it, you know, because I mean, basically what you are doing is taking his natural movements and you see, you can see it. You can usually predict it by bedding areas and food sources and different things that rotation can change it a little bit as far as the food source goes but you you usually have terrain and habitat that basically tells you deer doing this so when i see that i go in there and i i try to find the best access first like uh, i gotta have a stand set up first like I don't, I'm not, I don't care about anything else. I, how am I going to get in here and get out of here? And nothing ever knows that I hunted them. And and then I'm looking at the winds. What what I think the deer are probably bedding here, here, here. What wind would cause that deer in that bedding area to use this side that I'm on? And then when I'm do that, then I put that towards the stand. Will that stand spot work with that wind? Yes. Okay. Now I start my trap design and, and basically the trap design is taking any deer that could possibly pass out of range and putting them in range. And it's basically, you know, funneling deer and, and, and channeling movement and doing everything you can within that trap to encourage movement to that area. I'll, I'll go as far as building what I call scrape stations. And that's like, you know, 
an oversized scrape area that it becomes a big social scrape. And when you when you have that deer program it in their system that you know there's a there's a place where I communicate and I'm gonna go to that every time I'm in this area. And then you you have these trail systems. If you I usually try to run a burn through these areas and stuff to to start the habitat. You know, if there's good sunlight to the to the ground floor, you know, I'll try to run a burn through there and get the habitat growing so that I can come in and literally take a weed eater and make the deer trails. And within my system that I build, I weed eat these trails and I spray Roundup on them and they become basically dirt trails and the deer, I mean, there's no reason for them not to walk it. That's the easiest path. So they walk straight down those sprayed trails. And then I take hinge cutting and I block off areas that they could they could bust you, like getting into the stand. Say you, you know they're going to bed all around this area, and that's where you – I like really focusing on bedding areas, like trying to – if you can hunt a bedding area successfully and get in and get out, you can kill some big deer because deer are not nocturnal, and they – you know, there's a lot of people who go out and say he's a nocturnal buck, whatever. But those, there's never been a study that can that can really just say straight up that deer only move at night. I mean, maybe there's a freak deer that does that, <laughs> but deer have that four chambered stomach. They have to. They are getting up and eating every, in my eyes, every four four and a half hours. He's going to get up and move. Now, whether fronts and chain, you know, big extreme conditions can make him lay an extra hour or two and it may be six hours before he got up. But a lot of times I'm, I mean, I run so many cameras that there's absolute proof that every buck I've ever followed, I've, I've gotten a picture of him in the daylight unless he just did not live on my property and I, it was too small of a property. Yeah. I can, so, I, I can echo the point, like the nocturnalness situation. And, and I've, again, they're, they're, they're core locations. And of course this is a company encompassing, you know, how they distribute across the landscape. I and mean, there's nothing I've not seen a study. In fact, they just listened to somebody the other day explaining to me, precisely why that's a completely false. And uh, again, like you said uh, earlier, you know, it may be a correlation to them being not resident in, in, in your property and then taking, you know, kind of a, a dispersion trip or, you know, a, a jaunt onto or bouncing to another property for that matter. So to the point of trying to understand movement and defining movement, it sounds like that's how you capitalize on this is you channel control you know, refine their movement, meet them at a location that's huntable, and then you start to size it down and, and get them to use an area, you know, maybe more frequently because there's a social component of this. And I'm a huge fan of everything you just said. I want you to kind of maybe explain on a client property that you've recently worked on, you know, the specific location, maybe describe it in some detail, maybe even what the habitat looked like, uh, even the density of, of, of cover, et cetera, how that looked. You know, how'd you set up on it? And, you know, it's funny because you also mentioned one thing I want to go back to is you may find two or three spots and maybe two or three spots on 100 acres. Years and years ago, when I first started hunting, I always, you know, I'd have like 100 acres, I'd have like 50 spots. I would have like 50 options to get up in a climber and hunt. And it's funny, as time has gone on, I've gotten, you know, this is when I was younger, I get, I've gotten more 
you know, precise like yourself. And I've got like, you know, I got a farm and there's like two spots, like two quality spots. Like, you know, those spots, you can hunt those spots. You just got to figure out when, when's the right time to attack them. So in your example, can you kind of explain maybe some detail on, you know, when you think these spots would be hot and, and obviously, you know, what's important and what, why you picked a, a select spot for creating, we'll just say the trap, buck trap, you know, deer trap, et cetera. Yeah. So I mean, I just, I just built one. I'll just do the last one that I built and, and I, I built it because, uh, it's the farm that we just, we just had, uh, beans and, and I've planted this farm for a couple of years now and, we, and we've got a, a really good bottom field and a lot, a lot of deer use this bottom field. Well, we know for a fact that we select cut the property this year to improve the habitat. So we have a ton more growth. Um, and it was actually done before last season. So last season was the first season just freshly behind the cut. Cut was right up to the season. So this will be the first good year of good growth, of good bedding habitat and good, I mean, just tons of good deer habitat compared to what it, it was like park scenario. I mean, had a huge trees. So now that that has just transformed this property, I, I've got certain points and certain ridges and funnels that I just know that deer are already bedding on. And, and I just know they're just going to really use those more than normal, especially with our food in this one bottom. And then for them to use the bottom, they either have to go across these other top food plots or they can use the thermals and everything like a big buck would do and stay in the bottom and travel to the bottom field. And we always see some really good deer in this bottom field that come out of that same line that I'm talking about. So I proposed getting in there and building a trap and Basically, we all my food plots. When I plant food plots, the, I consider them traps as well. But they're, you know, if it's a, a gun place, you know, they're all designed to where I can funnel deer and deer can't see other deer, and it, it just makes them use the food plot and use it more in the daylight hours. And that's all a food plot trap or food plot technology, or you can name it a bunch of different things. But when it comes to that one in the woods, I I basically found a spot that I think you could slip into and slip out of and hunt it every time the wind's right for that area. And basically, after I'm done, deer will never see you come in or get out. And when you can do that, that's the key to a spot becoming a trap in my eyes. It's, it's That's why... When, like you were saying, I mean, it gets down to two to three spots on a property because that's all you can find that you know you can hunt repetitively and, and go in and get out and never get detected. Those are the spots where you're going to kill big deer because a big deer is never going to tolerate being hunted. He's going to only want to live. And I mean, he literally goes and feeds or whatever, and then he goes and hides. I mean, that's how they survive. So, I mean, if you can't hunt him where he hides, then you're just hoping you catch him going to feed, you know? So I, I build those. So what I did on this one is we just literally slipped down off this big clover field on the top. It's a top ridge and you drop down onto this side hill and it's got some big oaks that we had flagged out to not get timbered. 
And so that would be a desired area for staging deer because to the right is a big valley with three points on it and it's all real thick and it's all grown up nice and I ran a fire through it. So all that's really good bedding. And to my left would be that big bean field bottom. So I'm what I'm in is a corridor that from there and there's a huge ditch about 150 yards in front of me that that is like small river and deer do cross it but it's a good barrier in itself too and deer will travel down that edge well what I did is to build this trap I mean I'll give you the layout I, I took and hinge cut trees from from my area that I could see from my bow spot that I was setting up for this guy, I hinge cut trees as like a big break all the way to that Creek. And literally, I mean, a deer will have to crawl through there to go through the trees. It's just that thick. I laid them back and forth on top of each other. And it's just a maze of madness. And that bottom is super, canopied over and it's just like a dirt bottom so it's not really desired for the deer anyways but they could travel it so instead of them traveling out of sight i blocked it off and i blocked it off at a little bit of an angle so that any deer you know coming from the bedding area hits that blockade and kind of funnels straight into our trap and after that i took and I hinge cut everywhere. I already found beds, like literally in the spot that I was going to develop. So what I did is uh, any bed where I thought the deer could lay there, where they were already trying to lay and could see us in the stand or getting in and out, I blocked it with a, a ladle tree over it or whatever. I tried to make it where it was undesirable. And then I built better bedding areas out of sight but just barely i mean you could literally have it deer laying 70 yards from this trap and the deer can't see you get in or out and they'll never wind you if you hunt the proper winds so i've I've basically placed all these deer stacked in here closer to this bean field and and probably the majority of those will be does and that's kind of our, the plan is to stack your does a little closer to the food so that your bucks scoot up closer to the food as well. So that it, once those does empty that area and head out into the food early, then those bucks can move into that staging area and start scent checking and marking it up and stuff. And that's how you, you basically kill him staging to go out into the food source late evening. So, you know, all these all these different things I, I put into it, like scrape station. A uh, scrape station, what I call that, is I basically run a cable up about eight foot high and another cable about six and a half, seven foot high, something that a deer could never, even when he stands on his feet, he really couldn't get his horns hung in it. And then I wire tie or twist tie a bunch of limbs hanging straight down. And, and in our area, we use cedar limbs a lot because they just kind of cover your scent for one thing when you're putting them up. And then there's uh, something about a cedar limb. I, I probably get five times the buck pictures as I do anything else. Uh, even if I'm hanging on an oak tree, I mean, it, it, it's a cedar limb hanging down. He goes straight to it. So hmm. I, I, I build these traps and, and like during the season, I mean, that's, 
the reason I know this about the cedar limbs is I, I'm I'm doing it on every single camera now. Like I'll I'll run 150 cameras this year, and I have 150 cedar limbs hanging hmm. because I, I'm getting that many bucks on those pictures. It's unreal. Like I'll, I'll probably change your buck pictures. 80 percent will be bucks, and they'll all work those cedar limbs. They'll just go straight to them, and it's just. I think it's because once you lose all your leaves, then that cedars really stand out visually. And then, of course, the bare spot under it, and it looks like a broken limb because it's pointing straight down. So anytime all those things trigger another buck to cover its scent, you know, so yeah. they go straight straight to it. Yeah, and you can but, see it, and they can see it from a distance away, and, and especially when the, right. when, when the leaves drop. That's interesting. I, I guess I haven't thought of it. Uh, I haven't thought of it like that. I mean, I use beech trees in a similar manner in my area, and it's kind of funny that, you know, again, you know, everybody does things differently, but you know, I'm certainly open to different thoughts, and that that's kind of cool. If, you, if you'll try it, dude, you'll, be, you'll go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know what you're talking about with the beech tree because they, they hold the leaves, yeah, kind of like a oaks. Yep. The oaks will hold their leaves. So any kind of – any kind of uh, tree limb that will hold its leaves and you point it down and especially if you zip tie that limb to a tree that has no leaves i mean it's just like they go straight to it yeah so it, i mean it, it doesn't always have to be cedar obviously i mean i've done it with cypress i've done it with everything right. whatever's available <laughs> but cedar is my go-to seems like here lately in in your so. uh with your uh, uh cable design have you have you used, ever used like a t-post design like bartilla uses them there's there's guys out in the the whitetail group they uses i have a version of the own thing that i do do you do, you do any like t-post kind of setups anything like that at least on fields and field settings because you know you can't cable anything to the trees yeah yeah so i, I normally only do the cable thing inside like bedding areas and and what i call uh, a buck trail or you know depending on what you know i have different trails that i i consider different trails like i make certain trails around bedding areas that are buck trails a buck sneak trail versus just a normal deer trail you know so i'll usually try to when i find a hub and i get everything kind of in, entering a certain area that's where i'll do my scrape station so that i can just add the camera to that whole mix and and basically it will monitor that whole area due to the trail system is the so, scrape, scrape station that you're putting in is that how close in proximity is it is that usually to a stand set does it relate directly to a stand set or is it some distance away so you can visualize them and get prepared for them to come to the next stage and you've got trees set up and then you wait for the deer to go by. i mean like how how elaborate do you get with that or do you have it but right? yeah i I don't like adding anything that I can't shoot. So okay. I'll have it within range of, a, of the stand because here's my deal is if, if, it, if he wants to go to it more than he wants to go to where I need to shoot him, then I get to just watch him. So my, my idea is why not be able to shoot that scrape station? Why not to be able to shoot that water hole? Why not be able to shoot? If, if illegal uh, mineral station or whatever, you know, all those different things I add to every trap and I, they're all within bow range. And, and I also do the stump sprouts, you know, where you can get what they call mineral stumps now, uh, where you just cutting trees off six inches straight off the ground and then take, removing the whole top and letting those sprouts come up. And, you know, if that tree had a 20 foot canopy, 
it has 20 foot root system. So yeah. you're pulling new nutrients from 20 foot area and jamming them in those little sprouts. So the deer, you know, I'm sure, you know, as well as most of the people that are just like us, I mean, deer absolutely love the taste of high nutrition and they will bypass better habitat, better everything, better food to go eat the best best tasting food yeah and and that usually has to do with the nutrients so when you do those stump sprouts i'll have 30 of them in that area because for one thing i need shooting lanes the next thing i need you know i want it to get sunlight so i'll just anything that's within bow range and and i don't think would be better hinged i'll just cut it off and make stump sprout out of it and it will be just you know after the summer it's just mineral bushes everywhere yeah yeah no, <laughs> so that's, and, that's a good point and it, they waste so much time you know doing these things that you know it helps you get a shot it helps you re- judge the deer it helps all the daylight movement becomes on you versus especially on small properties i mean that's huge on small property if he spends all his time on you and he, and gets on the neighbor in the dark, you know, he, he can live even at, you know, a three-year-old or whatever you're letting walk, you know? So th- yeah, on, on the post deals, I definitely do that in the food plots. I mean, we'll, we'll just do them for cameras, you know, to try to monitor a lot of our stuff's gun hunting. So when it's a bow stand, a bow spot, you know, I would do it within bow range again, uh, just because I wanted to pull a deer across the field to work the scrape within bow range so i'll do the post with a hole drilled in it and put a limb in that and screw it in or whatever or i'll or i'll actually go out and cut a limb a small tree that has a limb that hangs to the right or left and i'll dig a hole in the field and put it in and bury it sometimes we have to stake those because the deer push them over yeah Uh, yeah but but i mean they'll go straight to them one thing that was kind of intriguing to me when you're kind of explaining that layout where you come over the top and you were talking, there were some terrain features and you're also talking about, you know, where deer naturally wanted to bed and, and finding, you know, and there was probably a reason they were bending there. Maybe there's some form of cover or stem density, whatever, but, you know, kind of displacing them, maybe making them move back to the place that you wanted screening, but amplifying the areas where you want them to be. Can you kind of explain a little bit how you do that? And also, can you add like, it sounded like there was some tiering or maybe some uh, knobs in place in that terrain feature that attracted deer. And you said you ran fire through those areas. Can you explain kind of like how you, you know, selected that area and, and why per se, like, and, and how you amplified it? Because I think that's, that's where people miss out on. Like, I, I can tell you, I can't, I've been on so many clients properties where, and these guys like, you know, they're watching every YouTube video and they, they really think they know they've got, they've got their idea what it's like. And I'm like, guys, this is so obvious. It's, it's not even funny. Let me make this simple, stupid for you. And when I start kind of explaining my process and how I laid out, it's just like, yeah, of course they're going to lay there. Like I could see that a million miles away. And like, so what, what were you kind of looking at when you're laying out the bedding area, I guess, in that, in that section kind of wondering. Well, for one, I found beds there. So That's I good. instantly knew, <laughs> I, I instantly knew it was the bedding area. Um, but it was enhanced. It wasn't a bed area before we ran the fire through, before we select cut. You know, it was just the bottom. And I don't really feel like there was a lot of deer calling it a home. But 
it was also a flat bottom with ridges on both sides. Basically, all the points would all the points of the ridge ridges just point off into the same bottom. So, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if this is just me or not, but I mean, I always seem to find buck beds on the points of ridges, and those points of ridges. It's basically the if you took and put yourself into that deer's shoes, if you wanted to sit somewhere where you could see everything but and smell everything, you're going to go sit the same spot a, a hunter would want to sit, on the point of a ridge where he could see the whole bottom, you know. And, and that's where I find all these buck beds. So I already knew to the right of this, this area, there was a there was three different big ridges that point down into the same bottom. So and I know that we had slit cut them and I know we had burned them. So I know that and the brows and the thick. I mean the grass the it's waist high. I mean it's it's just like sure no doubt there's deer if they they have no reason to bed anywhere else. I mean they would they're not going to go far from the food at this time of year and everything else because it's so hot. So I knew the summer bedding was there. And I wanted to improve the area where I was hunting a little more, so I took hinge cutting as a way to do it. And, yes, there's other ways to improve habitat other than hinge cutting, but hinge cutting is huge to me because it provides tops, and those tops will live two to three years. And even – and I usually, when I'm providing cover – for deer and blocks and and things for deer to bed behind and in front of and on the edge deer are just such edge animals they always bed on the edge of all the thick anyway i mean it you those tops are going to be nothing but food and cover in one step one hinge cut you got food and cover for a deer to bed behind if he beds behind that one tree i mean that's up to him obviously but i go out and when you do this to an area, now you've taken that area in my eyes and literally made it a, without saying I've heard it before, I'm in a five-star hotel. Yeah. And everything else is a two or three. So now you definitely, I mean, if I was a smart, big, old deer, I'm going to go where it's the best of the best. And if you erase human pressure and, and hunting pressure because of the proper design, then they have no idea they're ever being hunted there, then why wouldn't they be there? So that's where the traps are, you know. So what I did is take that ridge, and I, I dropped in a ground blind, and it's one of those docks. Uh, it's actually, a, I guess, Hawk owns them now, and they make those down-and-out blinds. Yep. And, and that blind is a pretty big size, six-by-six six footprint. And I took and hinge trees over to it, like literally scared myself. I almost thought I flattened it with one of them, <laughs> but I hinged trees over to it. And I mean, I made it so hard to see that I had to go take the chainsaw and cut my windows around it, you know, cause I mean, it's, it's really covered in good. And then my access, you know, I looked at that and I said, okay, I'm having to come in from this top field and slip down this ridge on the side of this ridge and drop into this box this uh it's like a box down and you slip into it so when you do all that i don't want deer to ever see me so i'm i'm envisioning where i put all these deer and how could they catch me and well i need definitely so i did the same thing i did in that bottom i 
I made a hinged break all the way up to that field edge. And it is so thick that, I mean, you couldn't possibly get through it without climbing over it. And I made sure it was like that. I wasn't worried about the habitat and getting shaded out and all that because that's not the purpose of that area. And even if those trees all died, it would become this big brush break that nothing would be going through. He would never scent check me coming in my trail. You know, he would never smell where I'd any ground scent coming into the stand. Yeah. So, and then you have all that cover that you're walking behind to get in the stand that they can never see through. So, you know, there's so many purposes for the hinge cutting that it's not, not just like a blank sheet of paper. Hey, if you're hinge cutting, you're doing this because, and that's not right. You know, there's so many ways you can use hinge cutting for putting deer to bed, putting, providing cover where you need cover, providing screening, like, like I was saying there, directing traffic like I did down in the bottom in front of it, you know, and it all just funnels to this one spot. All these things are done in this one spot. I mean, and it's not done like that on the whole 200 acres that this guy owns. So, I mean, why would it not, you know, there's it's so many things in one spot. It's got to work. It's going to work. And the deer are already using that area. See, I don't try to do those in just areas that I can get to. I mean, I try to find areas of deer really like anyways and then do that because once they get into it it's why i call it a trap once they get into doing what they want to do then they're just like oh i need to go here oh i need to go there they're trapped they're pushed to exactly what they need to do so that you can hunt properly if you let them just do what they want to do they'll catch you a lot of times because that's how they live there but when you've erased those areas they can catch you then it becomes a trap and they literally get caught up in where you're telling them to go and it's erasing the ways that you can get caught. I, I have to say, and I love your explanation, everything you kind of laid out. It's interesting to me. I saw a post and I don't, my social media prowess is getting a little bit worse as I get older, but I'm paying attention to some things that certain people say. I'm also want to make a statement right now. I love the fact that you had talked about exactly what you want to do why you're doing it. You're not concerned to talk about something that, you know, people, have, I don't know, shunned or, you know, identified as chaotic or, you know, just, just diminished and hinge cutting to me. And I can tell you right now, I went on my property today. I kicked off two giant bucks on my property. And where were they? Right in the area that I hinge cut just for them. Cause I want to hold deer in this one area. That's about 120 yards away from a tree stand. And I mark my words, I'm going to kill a kill one of those big bucks maybe not one of those specific deer out of his stand because of the hinge cutting i did so for anybody to to kind of bash and and maybe it's species specific or time of year specific there's you know really probably rule sets you can put around on your particular property i I just don't see the harm if you're going to hinge cut an entire property a lot of times there's there's issues uh relative distance, the number of trees, like those type of things, but you creating lines and, and segregation and compartmentalization and the things that we talked about in other podcasts, uh, you know, on this podcast, I, I can't, I can't say anything. There's anything wrong with any of that stuff. And the, the people, the YouTube celebrities or anybody out there that, that wants to kind of bash, um, you know, people that do this or people that use this technique, I, I think they're just, they're missing the boat. 
I, I don't see the harm. Again, unless you're taking away something of value. You know, if there's something, your hinge cutting tree that has some value in the landscape, um, and there isn't many of them, and you're diminishing with hinge cutting, I could see that. Maybe it's got harvestable value, economic value. Okay, I could see that as well. But the things that you had laid out there, to me, seem extremely sensible. Totally tangential, but I'm, I saw a post recently, and it kind of triggered me. So I give you credit for being bold and making those statements. And by the way, I work in New York State, and I hinge cut a ton of trees. So anybody wants to come bash me, send me a message, and, and I'll explain to you why I have rule sets for all this kind of stuff. So, you know, there, there's a real foundation behind it. And it, it does a lot for your, for your deer. And, and my perfect example is kicking up two giant bucks today on my property. Where were they? They were in the hinge cut area. And it was small. It was only a, it was only a 30 feet by 30 foot section. And it would, well, that, I, yeah, I mean, I hinge cut like four trees, you know, I'm perfect. Well, that's the, that's the deal with hinge cutting. Uh, most of us guys that are out there doing it, we're not hinge cutting the, the entire property. We're not going around and and just hey, you need this fifty acre block all hinge cut. That's I mean, in my eyes, that's not really that beneficial as far as habitat goes. I mean, because you're just you're making everything the same. I like I like I, you know making these areas unique and and desired, and then you, especially the areas that you can hunt. Yeah. So. yeah, and I think you can make it like you said earlier, like precision bedding. I mean, you're you're generating precision bedding in a key location exactly. and using, like you said earlier, like that high location and emphasizing, you know, their use in there. And and you know, I think a lot of people don't recognize the you can you can build bedding and you can build really good bedding, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. So I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. You don't, you definitely don't want to just do random stuff, (laughs) watch you, you watch YouTube, go out and start cutting trees. I mean, this stuff is, you got to have a plan. And I've always, I've been saying here lately, it just started the whole, you got to plan, plan the build and then build the plan. You know, if you don't do that stuff, then you're, you're literally going out and, and probably making things harder for yourself. Because, I mean, you're you're dispersing deer in areas they don't want to be, and then they're probably going to cross your path. And you know what I mean? Like, you're just going around doing these things that don't have a system to. And then how do you get to them? And how do you hunt them properly? And then how, I had to mess up three spots to get to the fourth. You know, those that's not how a property should be laid out. And I think that's why people hire us and, and bring us in to try to help them make sure they're not making those mistakes because those are definitely, definitely make mistakes that are being made a lot. Yeah. And you can't uncut trees that you've already cut. So, you know, you need to think about that before you fire up the chainsaw. So that's, it's important. All right, Rocky, we're getting kind of later in the podcast and, and I appreciate you getting into some of the details here. I've kind of missed you being on the podcast, to be honest with you. We'd like to have you on a, a bunch more times this summer Anything that you want to kind of end with or something that's been on your mind or anything that you want to say? Well, man, uh, not really. I just, uh, I'd love to be back on anytime. I know that we just have to slow ourselves down. (laughs) So (laughs) I've just been so busy here lately. And it seems like when you're not, you are, when I'm not busy, you were. So I know, know. but uh, I look forward to sharing techniques and we're, we're actually playing with the idea of trying to do a, 
a web series ourselves and become one of those people you were talking about <laughs> and just having, having more of a, you know, informative show on YouTube than before. I just had just like a TV show deal, but I think there's a big desire. A lot of people are out looking for this kind of knowledge and, and different things that we have tested and, and found to be work you know, and a lot of these guys don't want to have to go and test them themselves when they can make a phone call and make it happen. So, yep. uh, I just look forward to sharing some more anytime. Good. All right, man. So, uh, everybody follow Rocky. Uh, he's, uh, on, uh, Instagram and Facebook, SAFR management and, and, uh, you know, follow the show notes. Uh, I, I put all everybody's information in there. So I appreciate you being on. I can't wait to talk again. We'll have to think about some topics for the future and uh you know this will uh then we'll keep we'll keep rolling man and hunt season's coming up i'm already thinking about hunt season so i'm interested to hear like your steps who what you're going after what your plan is this year so i'm kind of interested to see you know what what you got plans for yeah that sounds good man we got a velvet season coming up pretty soon uh august the 23rd 4th and 5th i think <laughs> this year so awesome it won't be it won't be long and uh i'll be out hopefully getting one of my target books again so good good all right man so we'll uh we'll talk soon all right sounds good man all right talk to you bye maximize your hunt is a production of whitetail landscapes for more information on how john teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt check out whitetaillandscapes.com